Coming to you from beautiful Flagstaff, Arizona, this is the Drinking Horn Meadcast. Join us as we take a deeper dive into mead and mead culture. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Drinking Horn Meadcast. I'll tell you what, pretty much every introduction I say we have a special episode, that's just how I feel, but this episode we have gone international and that is pretty darn cool. And we have someone who is an expert uh, in his field, the person that comes up as the authority on something that we will talk about, and that is our Mead Hall. We just started opening up here downtown in Flagstaff, uh, our Mead Hall, the Drink Horn Mead Hall. And so I am super, super excited for this conversation and to learn a ton of stuff about Mead Halls from none other than Steve Pollington all the way over in England. Welcome, Steve, to the Meadcast. Thank you a million times over for for coming on and talking to us. Thank you, Nick. Great to be here. Nice. And so I I called you an authority, and that is, I think, very much due um, just in the fact that from what I read, all the all the um, old English uh, history and, and scripts and, and books that you've written, and you said you've joined with other people and written a bunch of uh, books as well, but at least a dozen to your own name. So would you say you're, you know, you're pretty well up on, on old English history and mead halls? Oh, I, I think I'm fairly well qualified to talk about it, yeah. I teach old English as a language. Uh, I deal with Anglo-Saxon artifacts from time to time as part of my uh cataloging job for an auction house so yeah there's not a not a whole lot i don't know something about but i'm still learning (laughs) yeah we all are right yeah right and i'm learning um so much coming into to drinking horn our our meadery here because i come from a, a beer background and i knew a little bit about mead but i didn't know a whole lot and i'll tell you what i'm diving in deep now into bees honey uh the norse mythology um some of the history and stuff like that so i'm just i'm ramped up and, and amped up for to learn more and more about this that's so encouraging to hear that's yeah. fantastic Nice, good. And being surrounded right here by the Mead Hall, we just uh, we just opened up. It's only appropriate now to do this here. Um, so you are, I said you are, we're international. You're over in England, uh, specifically yep. in Colchester, uh, in Essex. And is Essex, is that kind of like a county? It's a county, yeah. Used to be a kingdom way back, but it's, oh. it's just a county now. Oh, Kingdom right. of the East Saxons, the East Saxons. So, oh, okay. yeah, back in the day, we had our own kings. Maybe one day, who knows? <laughs> Come back around. <laughs> yeah, and that's outside of London a little little ways northeast? Yeah, it's uh, 60 miles northeast of London, just on the coast. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's the one thing that everybody knows about Essex is it it's flat and uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> there's, it's, there's nothing there uh, over eight foot high, you know. It's, it's really quite uh, geographically <laughs> dull. Uh, yeah, but there we are. <laughs> well, but great place to put a couple ca- uh, couple castles, though, I guess. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. So uh, we're going to talk about Mead Hall. So I guess just to start off, uh, for people who have not yet experienced our Mead Hall or um, any Mead Hall, in fact, or don't even know what we're possibly talking about, um, could you give a brief description of what a, what a Mead Hall is? Maybe you know the word that it comes from and what that word means, and, and just a little bit. Well, I want to. I do want to talk about the architecture and all the different social aspects of it for sure, mm-hmm. and dive deep into that. But can you give you know what's your elevator speech talk about what a Mead Hall is? <laughs> okay. 
the Mead Hall is uh, a shorthand way of referring to um, a feature of early medieval settlements in England, Anglo-Saxon England, but sure as hell in Norway, uh, Denmark, the Baltic generally, and probably in Wales and Ireland as well. Uh, these buildings are set in a kind of village setting, so there's uh, a load of uh, agricultural buildings and small houses and so on. But in the centre of the settlement, there's always one much larger, much more firmly rooted building that fo forms the, the nucleus of the settlement. Um, and it dominates the buildings around it and it dominates the countryside around it. Um, because it's the central building and a larger building than the others, it's effectively the seat of power. Um, the, the average Mead Hall is, um, well, we're going to talk about architecture later, but the, what you really need to know is that it's, it's where all the good stuff and all the bad stuff happens. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's where... Uh, uh, guests come and stand before the lord of the, the settlement and make their greetings or whatever else other stuff they've got to do. It's uh, yeah, it's the it's the place where everything of note, everything of worth happens. Nice, excellent. I love the description that it's the nucleus uh, wow, of the yeah. settlement. That yeah. that brings it all together. And it's hilarious that you say it's where the good stuff happens. And I thought that was going to be the end of the sentence. Be like, uh -uh. and it's where the bad <laughs> yeah. stuff happens. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess we can go ahead and, and talk about the structure of it. You said it's much larger than most or all of the other uh, buildings that were in those settlements. Um, but there's something specific about its build out and its shape. So can you let us in on that? Yeah, generally speaking, in England, these buildings have, uh, they're, they're basically uh, rectangular. So they have two long sides and two short sides. There are doors in the long sides that are opened for agricultural purposes, shall we say, winnowing and that kind of thing. But the doors in the, doors in the short side are for coming in and going out on formal occasions. And usually... Oh, sorry, there's something here. There's a horse going past. Who knew? Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. It's, well, it's uh, unusual, but, you know, anything can happen <laughs> in, in Essex. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Sorry the horse is part of the agriculture. No, it's coming in the, uh, the long side, right, you said? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, so uh, as you as a guest or a visitor to the hall, as you approach it, it's this big, imposing structure, probably two, three times the size of any of the houses in the settlement in terms of its height. And as you approach it, you enter via a, a big, impressive main door. You go into an antechamber, and that's where you take off your outer clothes. Maybe you hand over your weapon because you don't want to be going in fully armed. That's probably a bad idea. And it's also where you're greeted by the lady of the hall or one of her maidens who who allow, help you to get off your traveling cloak, give you a bowl of warm water to wash the, the dust of your travels off yourself and a towel to dry so that you're, you're fresh and rested when you enter the main hall. And then as you go in, um, it obviously it's much darker in there than it has been outside, but it's lit by a central hearth, a central fireplace that with a, with a 
a fire running probably a third of the length of the building and these things could be 60 80 feet long quite quite routinely um, so there's a bit of a blaze going on in there and at the far end on a dais raised up so that he can see everyone is the lord of the settlement on his high seat able to to kind of dominate the surroundings nothing happens in that space that he doesn't know about hmm. Hmm. wow that's that's amazing the i didn't know about the you called it an anti what was the kind an of antichamber yeah antichamber yeah yeah and then much like we have nowadays still we have a hostess you know at restaurants that helps yeah, the people exactly. out so yeah. they kind of had this maiden um or you said sometimes it was like the lady of the house yeah if you were important enough it would be the the lady of the settlement would 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 come and deal with you personally but for for the plebs and for the travelers and the merchants and the singers of songs and tellers of tales this would be somebody a little lower down the rank <laughs> and this fire this hearth that you're talking about you said it runs a third of the building and i'm imagining That's, that yeah imagine what a, the, what a sight yeah exactly a blazing fire um i've been to a recreated uh hall just outside canterbury in kent um accurate dimensions wise and the really strange thing is that you can with that fire going you can stand six feet from it and it's way too hot and you're you're kind of getting quite uncomfortable you move back a foot and it's freezing cold on a winter <laughs> day <laughs> so the sweet spot is for you know this kind of six foot six from the fire you hmm. don't stray from that that's the good seat wow that's yeah that's crazy that sounds a lot like um like camping sometimes everyone's always kind of fidgeting a little bit closer a little further away yeah a little yeah, bit closer. yeah yeah <laughs> you can't just kind of dial up the heat so you just have to move a little closer to the source of heat yeah yeah and and that kind of brings people together as well probably because you know you can't spread out as much so you probably get a lot more uh cozy with your neighbor yeah, exactly <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the winter time at least yeah. so were these fires going year round um they were probably never allowed to go completely out because once oh. the fire goes out that you know they have a sort of symbolic quality Mm. The hearth is the center of the the home, so if the fire goes out, that's you know it kind of suggests that the game's over. That really, the, yeah. Okay, way more than just heating the place. Uh, exactly. Symbol. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, building codes and and probably county codes and health codes don't allow us to have a giant <laughs> fire uh, <laughs> in the middle of the place, but we do have one going right now. Um, a fake fire going. Oh on. right. Yeah. We did a build out uh, of a fireplace um, with a TV set in it, and we always have like a fire going. So brilliant! Um, yeah, it's at least you know representing that. Exactly, <laughs> right it's there. a nod to the past, isn't it? And that's that's fine. That's great. Yeah. Yep. And I tell you what, uh, we'd probably get in a lot more trouble these days if someone fell into a fire than they did back <laughs> in the day. They they probably just called them an idiot and kicked them out. Here we yeah. probably have to deal with <laughs> yeah. legal yeah. things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. And um, the uh, another thing you talked about was um, the uh, the head of the of the settlement being literally uh, physically raised up above yeah. everything to oversee it. Um, is that something that was found in all of these structures? For some reason, we just you just kept seeing that, or was that mostly from literature? Well, there are usually on the the better preserved ones because by and large, all we have in England is holes in the ground. Just post holes. Oh. 
Mm. Um, in Scandinavia, these things are a bit more solidly built because they have a whole lot of um, rocks and building other building materials to hand. But mm. certainly in eastern England, it's all clay, clay and sand. You can't do an awful lot with that. Um, so what we have to, to base, our, base our assumptions on is the, the post holes, the holes where substantial um, posts have been driven into the ground and then as these rot away, you can just get a, um, a soil stain. The soil is a slightly different colour and if you're a trained archaeologist, you can, uh, you can make assumptions, make um, deductions based on this. Usually there are four large posts driven into the earth and these support a dais, a kind of raised platform, and on the platform sits uh, a, a, the main chair, what they call the yifstor, the gift stool, which is where the Lord sits. It's where gifts, rewards, judgments are handed out. It's the kind of the... the other than the hearth, it's the focus of the of the whole settlement, the the, the single place to be. Hmm. Nice, and this the it's the place to be. It's the place to be for the settlement. And I just started in on. Um, I received your book, Meet. Oh, hold on. <laughs> and uh, I sat down with a with a, a draft, as you call it, um, and started in on it. And I had three friends come up to me and, and totally distracted me. Of course. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the introduction told quite a bit, so I can't wait to dive deeper into it. But in mm -hmm. that introduction, you talk about the two separate, kind of almost two main focuses of the Mead Hall. Um, yep. Something about a symbol and then something more about kind of party style. And I know yeah. there's actual names for that. So can you speak to those two differences in, in the focus of the Mead Hall? Sure. Um, one of the things you have to understand about a meat hall is that we don't have a single building in the modern world that corresponds. The meat hall is, because it's the center of the settlement, it's the court it's where legal ju judgments are given. It's where uh, petitions are raised and brought up for, for judgment. It's where entertainment takes place. It's where people get together in the evening and have a, a bit of a chat and a exchange news and play games and all the other fun stuff. So it's a village hall in our terms. It's a courthouse. And to some extent, it's also a church. Hmm. Um, the two types of um, feasting, uh, in, we don't have quite the same, we don't have the exact words in modern English to um, express this, but feasting is one way of dealing with it. The, the sumbel, which is a kind of um, a very formal, in some senses, a religious occasion. It's um, it's like a, um, a celebration of the community. It's where the whole of the people who live around around about and um, look to that leader, that lord, for their as their uh, protector. They all come together, and they have a formal occasion where there maybe there's something to celebrate maybe they've got a, a an agricultural surplus and they're going to thank the powers the supernatural powers for for having provided this and at that at the sumbel very formal rites rituals take place there is a procession there's ritual cleaning and uh, and kind of pre preparation of everything in uh, it, it in order to have everything exactly right for 
when these uh, when these um, ceremonies take place. Um, there are rules as to who gets served in which order. If you're the the head man, the lord, then you are served first, and then those ones one kind of rung down on the social ladder get get served next, and so on and so on and so on until the 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 lowest orders, the the youths, the people who haven't proved themselves, get served basically last, um, and that is the formal occasion. The, the Sumbel. Other than that, we do know that uh, they had a, a less formal kind of um, way of handing out um, drink, which is called a yebershipe, a, share, a sharing of beer. And with a yebershipe, it's much more about fun and games. It's, um, it's songs, it's entertainment, it's music, it's dance, it's all that fun stuff that you might get in a bar or a, um, uh, an English pub today. It's it's all the the informal stuff, uh, exchanging gossip and telling news, greeting travellers who've come from afar and trying to you know get stories out of them of what things that they've seen and done. Um, and the Yebershipe, um there's one famous incident that I can't let you go without. Retelling for you, it, it occurs in um, the story of um, King Oswald of Northumbria, who meets a meets a sticky end, and a chap is sent to recover his his physical remains, and he he on his return journey to Northumbria, which is way up north, um, several days ride, he comes one evening to a settlement where they're having a beer shipper, a beer sharing. Um, and he's in a like, thatched hall. He comes in, he hangs his, uh, his coat and uh, bag and appurtenances up and sits down for an evening's drinking. And, of course, you've got a wooden hall plus fire plus alcoholic drink. So what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> a spark from the fire shoots up into the thatched roof, sets the whole thing alight, and it all burns to the ground. Except for the one little uh, frame where the man had hung up his uh, his bag, because that's where the the holy relics of of Saint Oswald had been placed, and therefore that was protected. So wow. yeah, <laughs> believe that oh. if you will. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it sh at least shows that they had these they had these informal fun occasions that weren't weren't um, formal at all. Yeah. Well, I will. Uh, I will believe it for sure. Absolutely, because that's an awesome, <laughs> awesome story there. Um, so the the this um, man and I, I was actually trying to look up how to pronounce that, uh, but Yabir Shippa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that beer party was really intriguing to me um, that it was kind of a, that separation and, and such a formal and informal thing. Was it yeah. something that the mead halls would kind of have problems with those overlapping ever or um, were there like set times? I'm imagining like happy hour, you know, was you, <laughs> the, the, the people would know that, you know, this is the time for this and, and that's the time for that. Well, I think the soon bell, the, the formal occasion would be you know, high days and holidays. It's going to be midwinter. It's going to be maybe midsummer, um, and maybe those those occasions when your yeah, taxes are due, because you know this is always a 
you don't get to be head man without collecting cash uh, <laughs> or, or, or you know food or whatever else is uh, is their currency so yeah it will be those occasions when everybody's got to come together for a reason and the reason may not be fun it may it may be uh, handing over money yeah, yeah. Sometimes I got to go to City Hall and pay a parking ticket, you know, there stuff you like go. that. So. <laughs> yeah, and um, kind of backtracking just a little bit uh, mm-hmm. when I was reading through the introduction and a little bit of the beginning, um, and even on the cover, the title Mead Hall, I saw three different ways of saying it: either all one word, a hyphenated word, or separated words. Is there certain times to use those certain things, or is it just kind of like a free for all? Well, it's. They're they're overlapping terms, as you say. Um, the one of the one of the things is uh, Old English verse uses an awful lot of synonyms, a lot of similar words for to say the same thing, and that's because they don't use rhyme exactly, but they have to, they you know for metrical reasons they need to have oh. different ways of saying. So you have meduseld, uh, mead, which is mead hall. But you can have a bear seller, or uh, it can be a salor or a wretched. There are other ways of saying exactly the same thing. But and the um, the word for strong drink can be bear, which is our word beer. Erlu, which is ale. Uh, Wien. I can't think what that might be. And <laughs> mer- <laughs> and merdu, mead. So th- these are the four main alcoholic drinks that they know. Um, the difference between beer and ale at this time is probably not anything to do with the brewing process or adding hops or any of that, that stuff that we now have as the difference between them. I think essentially beer, beer, is the mundane substance. It's what you're actually dealing with. Whereas when you have erlu, ale, that's actually a kind of socially significant, almost magically charged liquid. Mm. And it it has these transformative effects on, on men, on human beings. <laughs> it, it can turn people who are quite shy into people who are very loquacious and vivacious. Uh, it can turn people who are quite calm and, and cheerful into, you know, roaring drunks who are spoiling for a fight. So they understood the transformative effects of, of alcohol. And this formal setting was one way to kind of harness that energy in a safe way. Keep it very formal, keep it very strictly controlled, and there'll be much fewer problems. Hmm. And of okay. course, once you've got, once you've got um, alcoholic intake and you start to get... Um, you start not to be fully in control of your faculties, shall we say. Um, at that point, there is, in heathen times, in pre-Christian times, there was a definite understanding that the, the transformation in your mental state was because you were in touch with the gods. Oh, this was your really? this was your pathway to channeling the gods and conversing with them, taking messages from them. Um, yeah, that that was definitely part of what they. So, um, as much as a you know a drinks party is fun on those special ritual occasions, it was serious stuff. Oh, okay. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily like an excuse. The guy was getting you know hammered on the side, and he's like, "I'm just talking to the gods," kind of thing. But in the form, 
in the formal sense, they would use drink. You to, could try to, that, but I don't know that it would wash. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll keep yeah. an eye out for some of our customers here at the meat hall using that excuse. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's that's cool. That's really cool to know that that it was um you know not just a drink to hang out with people. It was actually used uh, for a purpose to to you know yeah it inhibits the brain or opens it up you know different yeah. types of ways and you can start Absolutely. to reveal not only yourself but possibly some other messages like you said coming that's that's really cool that's interesting puts you in touch with the ancestors it's it's powerful stuff yeah 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 and i like the differences between the the beer and the ale i'm going to start doing that a lot when i'm talking about just the product i'll say beer but when i'm sitting down with a with a friend or, or with yeah. you know someone and it transforms into that thing then it's an ale i like that yeah yeah <laughs> although being so, a brewer i'll probably get some slack if i'm drinking a lager and i call it an <laughs> ale then then they'll, they'll probably uh, look at me a little funny but <laughs> um now uh hopping back over to the mead was mm -hmm. this it was called a uh can you pronounce that again? The Medosal? Medosal. Yeah, so that was one question that uh, our Viking here, Halbjorn, had was, um, was that the the overlying name for, for these? It's one structures? of the names, but there are plenty of others. Yeah. Cool. All right, he's asking me a question right now. What's that? Oh, okay. Ah, so uh, another part of his question was that why didn't they use like hall like they would with Valhalla? Um, what was the purpose of, of that second part of the word? Uh, I don't think there's any real difference. Um, oh, okay. It's, it's, it's po poetry and the way that poets work and think and it's, you know, you know what poets are like. <laughs> yeah. I know what artists are like in poets. Yeah. Yeah. So it was um, just kind of a poetry thing. Just a it's, It means the same thing, but it's a different way of saying it. And yeah. you, Steve, you said that uh, having different words for the same thing allowed them to speak in that kind of poetry, in that verse. Yes. Um, and that's, that's so cool to me that if you want to say something, you have a couple options to make it sound better and flow better. Yeah. That's so rad. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> The, the the differences in meaning are probably not something that we can recover. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. He was asking too, and I had my headphones on, so I couldn't yeah. <laughs> get both things. You had another question? No, no, another question. Uh, one of my favorite examples of that is in the, uh, the they have a kenning for C that says whale road instead of just C, and it flows better with poetry. Ah, yeah. Whale road. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, this the flow. It's all about the flow. Um, speaking <laughs> of the flow... Uh, mm -hmm. Well, no, actually, we talked about the architecture, but the one of the main focuses that I think you talk about in your book is is the feasting. Um, yeah. Is there more to dive into uh, that we haven't discussed about about the feast that would happen here? Well, I think, yeah, the the modern word feast has all kinds of associations. But what we're talking about here really is um, management of food resources. Mm. So having a feast for the community the people who who've toiled in the fields and brought the food in is one thing um the women of the settlement were most definitely connected with the processing of food and the serving of it the men more with the gathering of it with the hunting and the sort of toil in the fields and so on and that does seem to be the one of the divisions of labor um but the purpose of having a, a lord, a hlavord, a, the, the word lord is the old English word hlavord, which is hlaf word. 
loaf warder, loaf keeper, the man who's in charge of making sure there's enough food. Huh. Uh, it's not just about producing surpluses, it's in when you've got it, don't waste it. Eat it, you know, yourselves, share it out amongst yourselves, but you know, spend it wisely. Get the people from the from the next settlement over. Get hmm. get on good terms with them, host them, give them a good time. Because you don't know when you're gonna need their help. If if your crops fail next year, you may be having to go to them cap in hand to get to get some help to get them to share their food if everybody does this thing then it works for everybody but you know you have it's that kind of uh, management of resources it's about husbandry but it's about good relations as well um, an anglo-saxon king often had a number of large mead halls of his own but he didn't have a kind of central palace in the way that you know we have in london or washington or whatever today uh, a king would go out on a, a, a specified journey called, called by the Latin term iter, journey. And he would go from one major settlement, one town to the next, to the next, to the next on a particular route. And he would stay overnight for one, two nights with all the leading men, all the important people. He would make sure that he turned up at their hall and at that, they all then had the opportunity to see the king and feel good about all that kind of stuff. It gave him the opportunity to, you know, get buddy-buddy with the, the people that he relied on for support. And in that way, uh, the community's resources could be spent in a, in, you know, to elevate them socially and give them a better integration into the wider community. Uh, and it, it worked. This, this system worked. Nice. I love the idea of, of going through and, and, and the traveling um, representation. And that makes me think of opportunities we can have even here in this meet hall to have, you know, maybe maybe it's not, you know, like the mayor or something coming by. Maybe it is. But, um, well, you know, heads of community and we've got a university here. So big, big things come up. Um, I'd, I'd love to see this meet hall not only provide drink, but provide that what you're saying, like people yeah. to come in and get in touch with the community and get in touch with the people. Um, and so yeah. that just puts that in my mind when I'm looking around here. That's, that's great. <laughs> it's a great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and it's like you said, the nucleus, you know, that's where the, the good stuff happens. And I'm sure some of those meetings didn't go great in the oh, kingdom. Exactly. Yeah. Left out the back door <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you'd been caught having committed a crime, you know, you'd be hauled up in front of the, the head man, the Lord, and, you know, you could be, it's not just punishment, you know, a fine or whatever. It's, uh, you could be killed. Yeah. Oof. Corporal yeah, punishment. Hopefully, hopefully nothing like that will happen here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Know. But yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah. That's, um, so we're again speaking with Steve Pollington, who is over in Essex, England, and is the author of many, many books, um, a dozen or more about, um, Old English history, he's a, uh, or the Old English language. Um, he's an instructor on that and all things pretty much Mead Hall. He wrote what I have found to be uh, the book on Mead oh, Halls. Uh, kind of you to say so. Oh, it's, it's, it's what's out there. It's what I found. So oh. uh, it's got to be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so um, I wanted to kind of dive into a little bit. Uh, you, we had discussed a little bit before coming on here about... Um, what happened with the decline of yeah. this this um, 
this uh, culture or this institution. Yeah, it's a good word yeah. for it. Um, yeah. So if yeah. there's anything that led up to that, uh, that instead of jumping right to that, um, I'd like to talk about that. Well, we've kind of touched on the fact that the Mead Hall in its heyday in the seventh century, maybe just as uh, kings and kingship getting going in England. England in those days is not a country. It's a, it's a number of small um, smaller kingdoms like Essex is one, Sussex and Kent and Northumbria and so on. These um, these were fairly small scale, even by English standards, which are nothing like yours. Everything's bigger in Texas, you know. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the Mead Hall kind of, it's it was the the religious center in the pre-Christian period. Um, it was the it was the judgment center, you know, the courthouse. It was, to some extent, the place where punishments took place. It was um, the center of entertainment. It was the center of worship. It was, up to a point, a defensible structure in a settlement that generally wasn't defended. Villages didn't have anything much more than a fence around them in those days. <laughs> so it had all these functions in, in one building. It was also where um, traveling merchants or craftsmen would come before the Lord and um, you know, try, and do, try and strike a deal with him, try and uh, sell their wares, try to, um, if there were traveling singers or musicians or storytellers, that's where they would set up and, and give their performances. Um, and basically, we're, from the later 7th century onwards, and certainly by the end of the 8th century, so this is uh, 1,200 years ago, give or take, um, all these functions kind of fell away. Um, with Christianity, um, heathen celebration of heathen gods and so on, was no longer considered appropriate. So the Mead Hall lost its religious dimension. It was no longer the place where worship took place. Um, that now took place in churches, in minsters, and the, the religious specialists no longer lived within the community for to celebrate in the Mead Hall. They were living now in um, convents and monasteries. Hmm. Um, with the monetization of the economy in the ninth century, things got a whole lot more organized. Um, taxation, come on, it's uh, unavoidable. Um, <laughs> but, but that led to, um, it was no longer simply enough for a merchant to pitch up and sort of sp spread his wares out for sale, um, as he had done in the old days, and just have a few kind of um, random witnesses who happened to be lounging around in the hall at that time. If you wanted to strike a deal in by the ninth century, you had to do that in um, a fortified settlement called a burg. It's uh, the word that we have in over here, borough, like you, and you have place names based on borough. It, yeah. So a borough is a fortified place. It's a, a defensible settlement, and this is because of the wars with the Danes. It was becoming impossible to defend all the tiny settlements. Um, so they hit on the idea of having these sort of big, stable, fortified centers, which were um, 
like medieval castles. You know, you had a garrison in there that were a permanent militarized force uh, who were able to impose the king's will on the countryside and protect against the Danes um, and do all that other stuff. Um, and these places took on a vast uh, economic importance because it it became the no longer possible to have random um, deals struck in just in out in the settlements. Uh, deals had to be witnessed by the reeve, and the reeve lived in the burgh, so you had to go to the burgh. The reeve is, of course, the the king's representative. And if you are the representative of, of a whole shire, you're the shire reeve, the sheriff, the sheriff. Oh, That's where oh, the word yeah. comes from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're the you're the king's man on the spot, and it's you know you have the king's authority. So you it's any deal has to be witnessed by you. Um, when people need to pay their taxes, they have to bring their money, their coins, because there's no no paper money or banknotes or any of that kind of stuff. It's silver coins. They bring their coins to the burgh. They hand over uh, 240 silver pennies, which should be one pound weight. And they and those are the old coins. But they're no longer, you can't spend them anymore. They're no longer monetized. So you hand them over and you get the new ones. But you don't get 240 back, you get 220. Because the king's keeping 10 and the guy who's making the coins is keeping 10. So, and all this has to happen in the burg, in, the, in this fortified settlement. The burg then becomes not only where the king's um, taxation takes place, but it's also where trials take place where justice is seen to be carried out fines are paid out um so the whole thing kind of collapses really um so that the mead hall becomes reduced in status it's not that it fades away completely but it becomes really just a site for local entertainments maybe they're celebrating marriages there maybe they're getting together for a few drinks they're singing songs they're doing the minor local stuff but it's no long it no longer has that central importance but having said that although that's these kind of hard economic historical fact um, the Mead Hall never lost its importance in in men's hearts in men's the mental picture that the anglo-saxons had of their world was very much of the Mead Hall as the great good place where all the fun stuff happens. It's the only place where you can be sure that the, the guy sitting next to you on the bench is your friend and neighbour and not mm -hmm. some random stranger who's going to wait for you outside and turn you over, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think I don't, I have visited the States occasionally and I'm very much struck by the central place that cowboys and the West have in your culture. In, in the imagined culture, you know, the imagination of, of America today. But they're not economically important anymore. It's just they're part of who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think the Mead Hall met its, met its end really in exactly the same way. Part of the mental furniture that you need, but actually no longer an economic necessity. Hmm. Ah, that's, a, that's a really cool 
to go through the, the process of, of how things became more structured and how that went away. But yeah, it is. Uh, you bringing up you know, the thought of cowboys in that culture, it is romanticized and we, we are you know, a little bit ingrained you know, it's ingrained yeah. within us, the, the thought, and we can all go back to um, them sitting around a fire, again, being a central thing with the horses exactly. around them. And so, yeah, to keep that um, as, as part of, of your, uh, you know, your, your past and, and, like I said, your tradition, isn't it? it? Your tradition. There you we are. go. <laughs> I could have easily, <laughs> like, stopped mumbling if I just remember the word tradition. Yeah. 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 So it, was that uh, something that people were were fighting against that separate? Oops, hit my mic. Let me start that over. Um, was that something that people were fighting against to separate um, that kind of thing and, and kind of dissolve the meat hall? Were people still struggling to saying like, no, we don't want these boroughs that are um, taking away part of our, our culture? I think in the end, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? You, it was impossible for the king to guarantee people's safety without having, uh, you know, without having places from which military strikes could be launched or which could be a place of refuge when things turned ugly. So gotcha. as much as they may have regretted it, you know, in the end, facts are facts. Gotcha. I, yeah, I forgot you did mention that, that that was the main reason of the, the dissolving of it was the ability to protect against the, you said the Danes? Is that yeah. Who you're, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so as we try to recreate that here in a, a pretty random place, Flagstaff, Arizona, but we try to, <laughs> we try to recreate um, that kind of feel, um, what would you love to see as you walked into a modern mead hall? Um, what are you imagining that would, that would help bring in that feel, if you can give us any of those suggestions? Well... I, Besides I think a fire gonna, right in the middle. <laughs> yeah, you need a fire, obviously. You need, uh, uh, I'm an old man and I shouldn't say this, but you need serving wenches because <laughs> really it's no good without serving wenches. Gotcha, um, yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> you need good quality products. If it's mead, then get good mead. If it's beer, then, you know, get get the good stuff because it should be a, it's got to be a place that is important to the people who support it. And if I were walking uh, through the door of your mead hall, I'd like to see a, a foaming glass of, uh, of something strong and tasty uh, and a bench to sit on and some good company and some music and some laughter. Nice. What else do you need? No, uh, yeah, right? Nothing. Nothing <laughs> else. Uh, something, something nice cold and, and large and then uh, we've got our long table and man I really expect a whole lot of laughter and, and great community in here. Uh, I always talk hope about, it happens. Yeah, yeah I, I think it will. Um, the, the owners here, uh, uh, Evan and Kelly, did such a great job with the build out and then yeah. we're already having people. Of course it's a lot different. We were opening in the middle of a pandemic and so we're, it's a very slow, <laughs> slow opening but the people that are coming in here are really uh, I think gaining that feel. And so, nice. yeah, thanks for the suggestions there. And, and we've got the long table. We've got, I, I think, the the community feel and having, like I said, events and stuff like that, just trying to kind of bring that back to being a community space. I talk about um, what I call the third space. So there's home, there's work, and then there's the third space. And to sure. me, that's what the pubs and what the breweries and what this mead hall is going to be. It's going to be that third spot where you can come together, share stories, create new stories, and just, um, yeah. you know, enjoy yeah. each other. And, and celebrate the important things. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I think that's, that's something actually, yeah, that's something great to always have in the back of the mind to, to make it a place of celebration. Absolutely. Um, You can wish for nothing better than that. Yeah. Yes. Right. (laughs) Good deal. Um, well, what else, uh, is, can we, can we learn from, from you about these, these meat halls and the culture, anything that comes to mind? Well, I can, uh, I can give you a little taste of, of the kind of verse, the kind of poetry that would have been going on, being declaimed across the, the, the fire there. Uh, hmm. I won't do the whole thing, but there's a, a little extract from, from Beowulf, which deals with the, the feasting in the, the great hall of the King Hrothgar, who his hall was called Helrot, which means a heart or a stag because he had a stag's horns above the door. Uh, well, why wouldn't you, you know? Thawasson salum sinches brita, Gamolfax und Guthrof, Jokel lifte brecho bert denna, Je hürde on beulve falkes hürde, Fast radne je socht. Thawasalle the hlechtor, Flyn winsode, Ward waron winsome. Elder Welch, I'll do that a bit again. Elder Welch, for Queen Rothgaris, Kuna Yamundi, Grete Goldrodden Gumman on Herle, on the Freulich Wif, full yeselde, Aris Erstdena Erzel Werde, Bad Hine Bliesne at Tariberthe, Leudum Leofne, He on Lust Yeser. Then it was a happy time for the dealer of rings, the hoary-headed and battled fierce, he trusted that help the bright Dane's champion. He heard of Beowulf's steadfast resolve, the people's watchman. There was warrior's laughter, the mirth resounded, words were joyful. Werchthel went forth, Hrothgar's queen. Mindful of good customs, gold adorned, she greeted the man in the hall, and then the noble woman handed a cup first to the East Dane's noble keeper, bade him be merry at the beer drinking, dear to his folk. He willingly partook. Just a little taste. Oh, that was, that was so cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, that is, yeah, that's something I want to listen to a couple times. And I think everybody out there uh, definitely enjoyed hearing that from straight from the mouth of someone who's, you know, an expert and studies it. So yeah, that was, that was beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, uh, Steve uh, Paulington over there in England, um, writer of several uh, or a dozen or more books on Old English and Anglo-Saxon history, and especially the one that I am going to dive into the next, uh, I don't know, it'll probably take me a little less than a week to cruise through this guy. (laughs) Um, Although I did see there's there's quite a bit of stuff that I don't even know what it is. There's some... um, Obviously, some verse that I'll have to just kind of say, "Oh, that looks cool," but I have no idea what that's. <laughs> yeah, 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 I do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but thank you once again. Um, this was absolutely an honor to have you come and and tell us a little bit more, uh, a lot more about Mead Halls and their history. And so uh, I can share that understanding with not only the employees here but also the customers, so we can all just do the meat hall justice and, and respect Absolutely. it and, and do it right and, and create a culture here that that's meant to be. I wish you every success with it. I really hope that it, it comes up for you. It's such a valuable and important thing. 
Yeah, agreed. And if you find yourself ever coming to visit, say Grand Canyon, and you're in the Arizona area, oh, well. <laughs> obviously happen. let us Could know. Happen. Yeah, I'll bring my seventh century gear with me and oh, liven things up. But uh, like the meat hall, we will have you check all the weapons uh, at the door. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good deal. Well, thanks again, Steve. I uh, really appreciate it and hope you have an amazing rest of your evening and, and year and all that such. Sure. My pleasure. All right. All right. Thanks again one more time to Steve Pollington coming to us all the way from over in Essex, England. That's right. Drinking Horn Meadcast is international. I <laughs> uh, hope you guys uh, learned a little bit about mead halls or maybe you learned a lot about mead halls. I know I did. And I have a feeling I'd like to have him on again to dive deeper into some of those things. But uh, if you did enjoy this or you have any comments or thoughts, then leave them, I don't know, wherever, Instagram, Facebook, uh, wherever you get this podcast. Um, write us a letter on actual paper <laughs> and send it to us. Drop by the mead hall and let us know, downtown Flagstaff. But, um, yeah, and even better, it would be great if you guys could go on to Apple Podcasts and give us a review and a rating just so we can get out there to more people uh, who are searching for mead or meadery or Vikings or bees or all these great things I think we're discussing. So uh, just a simple review and a simple five stars uh, really goes a long way, I think, in getting the word out there for Drinking Horn Meadcast. Uh, I'm Nick Irvin, one of your hosts, and uh, yeah, that's about it for this episode. Hope you guys have a glorious rest of your day, week, month, year, and hell, lifetime. <laughs> Live simply, drink simply. Drinking horn mead. <laughs>